0: What is evil? It's a question I keep coming back to, and there are many ways of addressing it. Yet when all is said and done, there is no single universally accepted answer, although as a rule, many people identify evil as anything which threatens the existence and well-being of human life and culture. And that, I suppose, is as good a working model as any. Not so long ago, we looked upon predators such as the shark with fear and revulsion, perceiving it as an evil creature with our doom as one of its primary objectives. Other creatures, such as the scorpion, a crocodile and a snake, are still tarred with the same brush. But the truth of the matter is that generally, these creatures merely behave according to their own nature, and they are usually quite predictable. However, human behaviour is not so predictable. It is easy to identify war and acts of oppression by administrations such as the Nazis, the Stalinists, etc. as being evil and, closer to home, it is relatively common to label murderers, rapists, pederasts and drug dealers, etc. as being evil too. Such views may well be valid definitions of evil, but in certain instances they may also be oversimplistic and subsequently the cause of actions by a lynch-mob, for example, that an impartial observer might view as being equally evil. The term evil has a dimension to it that more often than not baffles the reasoning of the secular mind. This dimension involves religion and religious issues, a dimension that has generally been dismissed as archaic and irrational by the modern secular world. Indeed, many people no longer accept evil in a moral sense preferring instead to look at it as a psychological manifestation of a biological dysfunction. In short, the nature and dynamics of evil, as to all intents and purposes, become a specialised branch of clinical psychology, and indeed in many instances rightly so. However, even though the biological factors influencing behaviour are very important, There is far more to this subject than biochemical influences upon human psychology. Indeed, from our perspective, recognition and acceptance of the spiritual dimension of human existence is fundamental to a balanced understanding of this subject. We are taught that the human soul is created in God's image. That image is the ideal humanity is seeking to express. It is the divine potential that lies at the heart of human nature and the evolutionary imperative to be, or to become, is the mechanism by which the unfolding of that divine potential will reach its fullest expression. Evil may be thought of as that which endeavours to manipulate the natural course of events in the evolutionary process for motives that have the perversion of the human ideal at heart. However, we should be mindful of the fact that good and evil are not twins, forever engaged in an eternal conflict. They do not constitute a dualism describing two fundamental principles of existence engaged in eternal conflict, as some have maintained. This concept of good and evil, known as dualism, is merely a definition formed by our limited intellects to describe our imperfect understanding of reality. Evil is not a separate thing, and it is important that we recognise this fact, otherwise we concede to it the attribute of reality, a fundamental error with far-reaching implications. However, evil does exist, make no mistake about that, but it exists in the same way that a lie is the distortion or perversion of truth. It is the distortion or perversion of the good, just as Lucifer, originally an expression of goodness, was corrupted by a perverse view of his own self-worth. Truth and goodness are synonymous. Truth defines that which is true, and that which is true is also good. Truth stands in its own light, self-existent. It is reality, whereas a lie cannot exist of itself. It is always relative. Thus evil is always a perversion or distortion of that which is good. This may be seen in the person of Lucifer himself, otherwise known as Satan, the father of lies and the perpetrator of all things evil. He is a fallen angel. He was not created as the antithesis to the good, nor was he created as an alternative or counterpoint to what we understand the angels to represent. It was through pride that he became the perversion of what his true nature represents. Thus his actions, perversions of all that is true, natural and good, stem from within him not from without. And so it is with human nature. Although we may suffer the afflictions of evil from without, via the hands of those who have succumbed to evil, it is only through surrendering our own will that we lose ourselves in the perversion of our own nature. In dealing with evil, it should be borne in mind above all else that we are dealing with consciousness and the chemistry of consciousness. Therefore what follows is a rough guide, a working model only. It is not definitive, nor is it to be thought of as scientific. It is simply a working model that may assist all the members in their work, nor is it designed to give a definitive answer to the question, what is evil? The group mind may be viewed from a macrocosmic perspective as a great sea of consciousness in which we all have our existence, from which we all draw and to which we all contribute. We share this vast sea with millions of other creatures, both visible and invisible. Some we interact with, and some we do not. These creatures include all that we know, including mammals, reptiles, etc., and by far the majority, those we do not, such as bacteria, virus, amoeba, and other minute creatures. However, from a microcosmic perspective, the group mind is that which constitutes the family or tribal mindset, To understand the mechanisms involved in this, let us begin with something we all share in common, which is our awareness of the positive and negative aspects of our nature. On the one hand, we are conscious of a side of our nature that is positive, creative, tolerant, caring and selfless. On the other hand, we are conscious of a side of our nature that is negative, destructive, intolerant, uncaring and selfish. Indeed. There are thoughts and inclinations that arise in our mind we would never wish to share with others because they are often repulsive or distasteful and it comes as both a shock and a relief when we eventually discover that this experience is not unique to our individual self but in varying degrees is something we all share in common. Individual people personify particular characteristics. Some are noted for their generosity and selflessness whilst others are noted for their meanness or selfishness. Some people are very sensitive to the needs of others, whilst others couldn't care less about anyone or anything, so long as their own needs are satisfied. Alas, most people are not simple creatures, but display complex combinations of both positive and negative behaviour. These complex behaviours contribute to the individual's uniqueness as a personality. Furthermore, What happens to the individual also applies to the family group, and by extension to the community. Families demonstrate unique characteristics that are based upon the combined natures of family members. However, the personality of each individual is also shaped by the group dynamics of the family. This includes both positive and negative aspects of behaviour. The behaviour of the young is strongly influenced by the behaviour of their elders be they older siblings, parents, or relatives. The etiquette of the family shapes individual personalities, who in turn shape the etiquette. Therefore, not only does a family have both a positive and negative nature, but also every member of the family contributes to the nature of the family through individual behaviour. The same principle applies to communities, be they large or small, whether it is a traditional village or a district of a town or city. Communities embody the most dominant characteristics of the family groups that live and operate within them. The community both shapes the behaviour of its members and is shaped by the behaviour of its members. This is also true of regions, states and countries, wherein the egregore of the group mind influences individuals in ways undreamt of by the majority of the population. The word egregore is an uncommon word that is most frequently used today among occultists to signify entities that are magically created by any esoteric group, or to signify the resultant thought-form of the group mind of a body of like-minded people that join together for a common purpose. The etymology of the word egregore is unclear. According to one definition, the word egregore is derived from the Latin egregior, which means to go out, and grex, meaning a flock, or a herd, or a crowd. Another definition describes the word egregor being derived from the Greek egregoros, which means watcher. A third derives the word egregor from the Hebrew gigori. The gregori are fallen angels referred to in the Book of Enoch. In Jewish legendary law, the gregori are fallen angels that resemble men in appearance but are taller than giants and are eternally silent. These two are called watches. See Ginsberg's Legend of the Jews, Volume 1, and The Dictionary of Angels by Gustav Davidson. Notwithstanding the validity of the above interpretations, I am using the term egregore to mean the personality of the group mind, and all that such implies, when considered in the light of our teachings. It is to the group that the personality is to the individual, Thus, from a macrocosmic perspective, the Egregore reflects the level of evolution of the group mind of humanity in its relationship to the divine archetype, the Logos. Its nature is little understood and greatly underestimated. Compared with the lifespan of a nation or a civilization, the lifespan of the average person is short and makes little impact upon the group mind, although there are some notable exceptions in every culture. Yet, even though the individual has little noticeable effect upon the group mind, every thought, feeling and action that the individual generates contributes to the nature, quality and mass of the group mind. Thus all of humanity contributes not only to the group mind as a whole, but also to both a creative and destructive aggregate within the group mind, on any scale. This means that if all members of a family were to become destructive, then the family would be destructive, and if all the families in a community were to become destructive, then the community would become destructive. The implications are profound indeed. The greater the scale, the more defined the forms. Thus, at a family level, one may perceive vaguely or otherwise certain creative or destructive characteristics that are typical of that family. But on a national or perhaps racial level, These creative and destructive forces are expressed in forms that are easily recognised by the population, either by individuals or en masse. Furthermore, although the individual generally has little apparent effect upon the group mind, the egregores and archetypes within the group mind, both in their form and their nature, have an immense impact on the life of the individual although the individual may not necessarily be consciously aware of it. Most, if not all, cultures have a classical representation of both goodness and evil. Thus, in Christian culture, the classic embodiment of goodness, the ideal, is the form and nature of Jesus Christ, and the classical embodiment of evil, the antithesis of the ideal, is the form and nature of Satan, otherwise commonly known as the devil. In Christian terms, Jesus Christ is acknowledged as the perfect model of humanity, the means by which humanity may be deified. Whilst Satan is more often than not portrayed as being either a cold-blooded reptile, that is, the archetypal enemy of humanity, or a depraved, wolf-like or bullish creature, bent on satisfying its special appetite at the expense of humanity. Our ancestors understood this, and in their cosmology placed humanity between a realm that is ruled by goodness, which is heaven, and a realm that is ruled by evil, L. That heaven and L exist is unquestionable. That they exist in physical terms is debatable, but their existence in metaphysical terms is irrefutable. However, we must be clear about what we mean by metaphysical. The term does not simply apply to the intellectual construct, but to a spiritual reality that is the eternal substrate of the material world of the senses. To summarise, first, in the mind of every individual there is an apparent polarity consisting of creative and destructive forces, a polarity better understood in terms of thesis, antithesis, and that this polarity also exists in the group mind of the family. Second, that we are born into a group mind and are influenced by it from birth, that the group mind is a synthesis of all levels of social interaction, be that family, community, town, city, region, state, nation and indeed race. Thirdly, the essential group mind from a human perspective is humanity itself, and that within the group mind of humanity there exists subgroups consisting of races, nations, religions, languages political affiliations, etc., and that these subgroups have evolving personalities known as egregores. Fourthly, that a person may belong to various subgroups, that every person contributes to the nature and form of the subgroup, which will also influence and shape the individual. Fifthly, that humanity has been contributing to and influenced by the group mind from the beginning and that the ultimate group mind is the mind of God. Furthermore, just as tools are neither morally good nor evil. The same is true for natural objects and creatures. It is true that the forces of evil can and do manipulate creatures whenever possible. But such creatures are not inherently evil. A bee will generally behave according to its own nature, as will a lion or tiger, although they may become unwitting tools of evil forces. This is an important point to bear in mind, for neither the form of an object nor the material from which it is composed is fundamentally evil. We are dealing with the chemistry of consciousness in creatures. All creatures are an expression of an archetype, which is the ideal. In this world, the form of the creature is still evolving and is therefore imperfect, and the further a creature develops away from the ideal, the more it gravitates to extremes and consequently, imbalance which may be found in the nature, form, and function of the creature. Extreme expressions of the ideal in unevolved entities are invariably abnormal and often considered to be evil. Thank you.